Welcome to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women. Each week, we feature interviews, information, and inspiration that will motivate you to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. My name is Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, selfless syndrome expert, board-certified women's health coach, and alternative medicine practitioner, wife, mom, and entrepreneur. I specialize in health for busy and driven women. Listen weekly as I share the tools, perspective, and knowledge you need to lose weight, boost your energy, and fall in love with yourself so that you can serve the world with an even bigger impact. On this episode of Emerge, I am joined by Delcy Darwala, who is the founder of The Instinctual Parent, a coaching program for parents who want to learn to foster cooperative and harmonious relationships with their children. She's a chiropractor by trade, similar to me, and the mother of two boys, as well as the founder and CEO of Functional Health, a chronic pain and stress practice in Auckland, New Zealand. Delcy has spent years working with people struggling to deal with stress, trauma, anxiety, mood, and healthy habit formation. And through her own experiences, um, clinical experience, and personal research, she's discovered a lot of the causes came from how we are parented, which pushed her to create a method parents could trust to get them results. On this episode, we have a really great conversation, no matter where you're at in your parenting journey, in just helping all of us navigate, you know, pandemic, post-pandemic, how we help not only ourselves, but also our kids work through all of the things that have changed in the last few years, in addition to just having regular parenting. So I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, Delcy, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. And we are launching into this content, well, concept, concept, and something that's, I think, important for every woman out there is, you know, our relationship with our kids and especially coming off of like pandemic and 2020 and all this stuff. I think there's a lot, (laughs) there's so many layers to this conversation of, you know, how we really help and support our children emotionally and like manage ourselves inside of that as well. So I'll let you kind of lead with some of your ideas around this and then have a dialogue yeah Yeah. well yeah you you said it right you know the pandemic has been has been huge uh not just for adults but actually I think a lot of adults forget the impact it's had on their children uh you know children can't even make sense of what on earth is happening uh and I've actually with the clients that I've been working with been getting a lot of um you know clients saying to me my child's just been really clingy or they've just started becoming um, really whining and, you know, they throw a lot of tantrums and things like that. Now they don't want to, because I think um, depending on what country you're in right now and where you're listening from, you might've had um, months of lockdowns, you know, where your child hasn't been going to school and things like that. And so what I find is now these transition periods, periods going back to school has been a lot harder for parent and the child. Um, and it's all because, you know, these, these kids, they're, they're lacking certainty, they're lacking safety. And to be honest, they can only get that from their parents who also lack certainty and safety in the pandemic right now. So it's kind of been a, a spiraling event um, for both sides of the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited to have this conversation with you because you're in New Zealand, which has obviously had its own experience. And <laughs> from things I've heard <laughs> from your husband, yeah. who I know well, yeah. different <laughs> from the US. And yeah. then, you know, I'm in the United States and, you know, I talk to people and it's like, 
our kids, I, I interviewed uh, one of the few guys who's come on the show. You know, he was sharing that his five-year-old daughter has never seen her teacher's face because they've been in masks going to school. And I like, we're, you know, missing this whole connection with facial expression <laughs> and mm-hmm. communication and connection and all this stuff. So I'm curious, you know, and we're probably going to spitball this because it's all new, but like, how do we, how do we help our kids heal through this and kind of digest and process the trauma that's come around? I mean, my yeah. son's had a ton of it as well. Yeah. Um, and, and that's interesting. You said, you know, not just the whole, I haven't seen my teacher, but even the kids that do see their teachers, they're behind uh, face masks. And, um, and this creates a lot of uncertainty and uh, the sense of, you know, I, am I safe in my environment? Because we go back to, and this is a little bit of science here, is our social nervous system, which is a part of the autonomic nervous system that no one really talks about. You know, people talk about the really uh, parasympathetic, rest and digest, fight and flight, but we forget the social nervous system, which is, you know, reading, and we only can do this through facial recognition. Are we safe in our environment? is this person a threat? Um, Do we, or can we trust this person? Can we have a trustful relationship? How do we gauge relationships? Because remember, children are learning in their first decade, all about relationships. How do relationships form? What are we supposed to do in these relationships? And it's going to be the fundamental things that they learn in that that's going to stage what their relationships are going to be like when they grow up. So when you have things like face masks and, you know, not even being able to connect with your teachers, the people that are supposed to be teaching you things about this world, um, it can create a lot of uh, uncertainty for these kids. I think the best thing that, and I've told a lot of these, my clients, this is that um, spend time in the day where, you know, you can either do 10 minutes or 20 minutes, but it's a solid period of time where you're fully connecting with your child. And that's taking away devices, putting everything away. And it's not organizing an activity for them. It's just simply sitting there and going, hey, I want to connect with you. I want to show you that I love you. What what do you want me to do? How best can I support you right now? And it's posing that question to your child. And nine out of 10 times, the child just really wants you to sit there and watch them play or, you know, hold stuff for them as they do what they do. And that moment of connection just brings back a bit of trust, brings back that safety for them again, that emotional safety. Um, And through, you know, play is where children learn the most. So it's through play that I usually talk to my kids about, hey, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And, um, you know, some things are probably changing in your school. What do you feel? And it's good and it's really important, um, you know, to ask them that question. What are you feeling? Uh, not so much why are you feeling that. There doesn't need to be a story behind it. A feeling is a feeling. Um, what are you feeling? Are you feeling uncertain? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling angry? Um, you know, and and through role play, I would then go ahead and say, how can we work through those feelings? Because sometimes when I see you having a tantrum, sometimes I see you kicking and screaming. I can tell that that feeling has gotten too much for you. So I want to help you through that because I sometimes feel it too. But there are certain things that we can do to help ourselves through that time. And then I kind of role play through that. But it's it's in moments of um, play and it's in moments of that 20-minute full-on 100% connection is where you're going to get the most from your kids. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, you know, we're so disconnected on so many levels. And I think if we, you know, we can shift this thing on the positive and say, I will say the pandemic, it forced us to slow down, right? And kind of Mm -hmm. pick our heads up. And maybe you were able to recognize things that 
have been positive coming out of being home and, you know, kids not getting to go to school. Like there, there's a positive as well as a negative, but finding those moments to connect and really this applies at every stage. Like I was sharing with you before we started recording, this is president's day here in the U S. And so I've got a husband who's home and a pack of teenagers downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) I did not anticipate that because normally they're all at school and at work, but, um, and I also have an eight-year-old, which everyone who listens to the show knows, and he's visiting his dad right now, but even no matter the age, like we have to find those moments to connect and just, be present in the present moment with them. And it's so hard to do. And, you know, and same with ourselves, like we need to find those moments to be present for ourselves so that we can be present for them as well. And I think, um, and if I can, if I can go a little bit deep on this, I think, and what I tell a lot of people is that, you know, ask yourself the question, you know, why is it so hard for me to do this connection thing? Like, why is it so hard for me to just be present? in the moment and a lot of the times when we're truly present we um we can't we can't be in here we just have to be in our bodies you know what I mean uh you if you're truly present and you're truly connected you're not thinking about the laundry you're not thinking about the dishes and you're not thinking about all these things but what happens in that moment is that you come back into your body and you are starting to bring up maybe uncomfortable feelings that you haven't resolved. And so a lot of the times when parents tell me that they've been struggling to connect with their children, and I ask them, it's like, how was connection shown to you when you were a child? You know, because if that hasn't been modeled to you, if um, if feelings weren't modeled to you, if, if, if no one actually came up to you and said, hey, how are you feeling? How can I help you through this? Well, you're not really going to have the resources now as a parent today to be able to do that for your child. So I think it goes also back to, you know, I just get parents to ask themselves, you know, if this is an issue, if you constantly keep repeating this question to yourself, you know, I'm struggling to be connected to my child. I'm constantly disassociating with my child. I wonder where you learned that disassociation from and at what age approximately, Um, because there's something that's happened, something that you've learned over time to be able to push your feelings away, to be able to push that connection away, because that is what you learned. Yeah, that's, I I like this. We are going deep here, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's also important, you know, especially in our, because who I, I talked to on the show are, you know, the I call them high performing women, but we're the women who are driven and who are trying to do all the things and balance all the things. And we have careers and and I know you're one of them, (laughs) definitely. And I think a big part of what, like we have to be in this willing place to grow and to really look at ourselves. And as we do that, we model something new for our kids because there is, you know, not some truth. I mean, there, there's starting to be like scientific literature and stuff that points to things are passed down through our generations. And, you know, some of those are how we experience nurturing. Like what was our family life? Like, these are questions I've started asking my clients um, because they can tune into kind of what's going on energetically and emotionally with the body. But we also were modeling that to our kids or we're helping them to not model it (laughs) would would Mm -hmm. be the ideal. Um, And I know I've, I've been, I'll just share a little bit of personal story and we can keep going through this. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot with my eight-year-olds because he's, the pandemic, like he really has struggled with a lot of it. And we ended up full on homeschooling because he just, he had a lot of anxiety at school. There was a lot of unknowns, a lot of like 
just couldn't handle it. And he's had some trauma in him in his past, but I finally decided that it was time to do some counseling because there was stuff that I just, I need help navigating and need like a, a new perspective and vehicle to look at. And so hopefully, you know, this conversation might provide that for some people too, if you're feeling really stuck. Cause I know a lot of families who are stuck mm. right now. And yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and you're right, you know, and again, that anxiety really comes from not understanding relationships around you. Mm-hmm. Um, relationships is one of, at the world of relationships, it's, a, it's an interesting concept and it's something that kids learn at a very young age. And it's something that they're dependent on for their survival. So if that is under threat and that's what their body perceives it as, then anxiety is the first thing that's going to come up for them. And, um, and in all honesty, even though as an adult, you have learned relationships, we're still facing people constantly with masks on and things like that in this pandemic. We're unsure of everything around us. Do we have a job today? Do we have a job tomorrow? You know, um, are we going to be in lockdown as is, is our business is going to be affected? Um, you know, all of these things are happening. Um, that that's, yeah, it's going to cause anxiety. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious what your opinion is um, with this because it's been so unique. And I I um, know that New Zealand has been different from the U.S., we'll just say, and, and how they've treated <laughs> cases and whatnot. Like the whole country goes online, yeah. understanding for one or something. And we're not quite that extreme, but like in navigating it, well, and this, this applies to anything really. Like what's a healthy way to both show our own emotion and our, cause we, we want to be the safety for our kids. Right. And so I find myself maybe not being totally honest or trying to hide my feelings. I'm also a stoic German. So like, I don't, and I'm recognizing that maybe that wasn't the best model for my kid because it's like, mommy's never upset, but that's not yeah. true. Um, so like, how do we find that balance where we can still comfort them and provide that connection to what is safe while being honest about that, we don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the first thing is, like you said, you know, um, showing up with emotion is a really big one. Um, mm-hmm. It's okay to be vulnerable with your children. Uh, but there's a fine line between, you know, sharing your emotions and uh, emotional dumping. So, yeah. you know, letting your kid know that, hey, I've been feeling this, or I've been feeling sad, or I've been feeling scared because of this, rather than saying, you know, because you do this, I'm feeling like this or, right. and, and venting almost to your kids all the time is not going to be healthy either. Um, so yeah, fine line between sharing the emotion and dumping an emotion. So, you know, sometimes it's, um, you know, a, a lot of parents feel like that they can't cry in front of the kids. Um, but, you know, I say to, I say to um, parents, you know, there was a one time, if I can share this example, my child was doing something and I could tell he was anxious. He was uncertain about things. And he um, started yelling at me. And I could tell I was getting really uh, wound up inside and I started sort of yelling back. And in that moment, I just asked myself, what am I actually feeling? So yes, I was angry, but what am I truly feeling beneath that anger? Because anger is usually the surface level emotion for most people. And I realized that there was a, a level of sadness because there was a lot going on with my businesses because of the pandemic and things like that. And what my child was doing in front of me, I would have been able to cope with it had I not had all this baggage, you know? So when he was screaming and, and I started yelling a little bit, I just completely let that anger go and ask myself, what am I feeling? And I felt sad. 
And I allowed myself to say, I feel sad. I feel really, really sad. And I started tearing up. And my child, he looked at me and he's like, you're crying? And I said, I'm sad. And I, I shared with him that I'm sad because, you know, mommy goes to work. And right now things are happening at work because there's some things happening in the world and my work doesn't feel good. And so I'm scared and I'm sad and I don't know how to deal with it. And so I become more angry. But I'm just letting you know that this is my stuff. And it's really important to let your kids know this is your stuff, that you're working on this in your own way, that they're not responsible for your feelings and they're not responsible to make you happy either. That's an important one. Um, but sharing with them the emotion, labeling it for them, and then asking them, you know, do you ever feel like this too? Because a lot of the times um, kids, when they feel emotions, they feel very alone in it. So true moments of connection come from you becoming vulnerable, you letting them know that, hey, you're not alone. I felt this before too. I'm feeling it now. This is how I, um, you know, overcome these feelings. Maybe we can try something together. And uh, I think depending on the, the um, age of your child, you know, I wouldn't really go into the whole what's COVID and what's a pandemic. I mean, you can explain it briefly, you know, um, some people sometimes get sick a little bit, but mommy and daddy, and we're all working as a team to make sure that we are doing things to keep our bodies healthy. And that's a good thing because you can actually start putting it in meal times, right? Hey, remember, we're doing things to keep our bodies healthy. So we eat certain foods to make sure that our body's growing in a healthy way. Um, so yeah, just really being vulnerable about your emotions is one of the biggest things that you can do for your children during this time. Um, but just making sure that you're not dumping any emotions and you're taking responsibility for your own stuff. Yeah, I think that's really important and really key because our like we've been saying our kids model after us and you know take after us and if we're constantly it's also I mean it takes something on our side right to like you did you know recognize okay what's really driving my anger and you know be in touch with ourselves enough to take a step back and say no what's really going on with me mm -hmm. um, and have that perspective so I think that's valuable insight for those of us who maybe get caught up in the moment or yeah. 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 And it again comes back to, you know, a lot of the times the reason why, and, you know, I have, I have seen people um, with the kind of trauma work that I do for over a decade now. And I, the one thing I know is I can say it with certainty that when people get sad, when they have a lot of grief, they are very quick to resort to anger and frustration, things like that. And that's because, you know, when you look back, to how children, when they ex, um, express messiness around sadness and, and crying and tears, what does the parent do? They get angry. They get wound up. And so what the child is learning in that moment is, oh, when I experience sadness and grief and tears, I met with this frustration, this anger. Is that how I deal with this? Is that how I'm supposed to deal with this? Um, and that's how we begin this journey of learning around Okay, if I have grief and ang uh, sadness, then I must get angry. I must do this because it's being conditioned that way, you know, from the very beginning. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know, so maybe we can dive into this because I, I work with a lot of women who have dealt with trauma in their lives and either some of them have never talked about it and it comes up in the process of what we do, which is huge. But I know you work kind of in that context of trauma and kids and family and, and all of that. So I'm 
curious as to your insight, like, well, my first thought is how traumatic, <laughs> what level of trauma, I don't, there's not really levels, like trauma is trauma, I know that, but do, I know when I went through trauma, because um, I had a, my first marriage, my ex-husband was rather emotionally abusive, and it wasn't until I was after out of it and worked through some stuff that I recognized, oh, that was trauma, and that's not normal, and so for a lot of us, I think we belittle it and downplay it, but what do we need to take from this experience and how it's traumatized? Yeah. Our children? So with that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what? Uh, it's beautiful what you just said, because you're not the only one. Everyone thinks of trauma as equaling to the event. So meaning how severe is the trauma and does it equal to how severe the event was? And so um, the unfortunate thing about that premise is I, I've noticed a lot of women downplay trauma you know like oh no don't worry someone else has had it worse um and i'm like no actually trauma doesn't actually equal the event trauma is actually the um unresolved patterns within the nervous system that was trying to adapt to an event so when an event takes place um you know because you could experience an event and i could experience the same event but one of us could be traumatized by it Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And that's only because of how our system adapted to that particular event, how our system responded, and then how well did we actually reset back to um, balance or homeostasis. Um, so that's what really what trauma is. And so what I see is a lot of people who have experienced events in their lives and, you know, trauma stacks, basically one event on top of the other. And if you haven't reset from an event, your body and your mind have basically um, put together a memory, a cognitive memory, which is, you know, the story behind what happened, as well as an emotional memory, which is the feeling that you had during that particular event. And if that hasn't been processed in a healthy way, whereby your system has now not reset and come back to normal how it was before the event took place, then you're always going to have that memory subconsciously driving you in the present time. Uh, and what happens that in the present time, if we experience something that is somewhat similar, our body goes, oh, wait a minute, that's triggering this particular trauma. Now the feelings that I have for this particular present event I'm also going to dump all these feelings into that as well because it, it's, it thinks that it's similar. It thinks that this event has happened again. And so over time, what you notice is that you've got uh, trauma stacking up and stacking up and people are unable to actually uh, go on with their daily lives without anxiety and things like that. The other thing about trauma is also remembering that you've got mind, but you've also got body. So you've got the mind memory, which is, you know, obviously what happened in your childhood experiences and you can have a story behind it, but then it's also about what your body took it as a memory, how you actually felt. And so it's really important that when you're trying to heal these traumatic experiences in your childhood or in your adulthood, that you're not just working it from a mind perspective and just talking about it, but there's a, an almost a body perspective coming out as well, which is where I guess body healing can come into play. Yeah, absolutely. I had many thoughts just floating through my mind with that. Recently, I've been doing a lot of learning about the brain and neuroplasticity and 
reading a lot of Joe Dispenza, <laughs> Dr. Joe Dispenza, yeah. who talks about this quite a bit, but kind of like boiling it down to the basics, our thoughts give rise to feelings, which give rise to actions and then give rise to results. And in order to make changes, we have to start with our thoughts really, but the feelings are are connected to that. And we have like this learned pattern that gets ingrained in our conscious and then our subconscious mind just takes over with exactly exactly so yeah yeah and i think like i I think there was don't exactly quote me but i think it was like 90 or 95 percent of our day is run on our subconscious programming not yes. our conscious yeah, it's 95 you know 95 percent. yeah that's that's huge <laughs> that's like you're on autopilot you know um yep. so yeah it makes a huge difference on what have you healed and what you haven't healed and how that's going to impact what you do today. Yeah. And uh, the other stat I like to throw out there is by the time you're 35, like everything you are not to put a limit on it because you can, can change this, but essentially your brain stops developing and like learning new patterns and new integrations, unless you consciously do something differently um, mm. and start mm. to impact that. Mm. So for those listening. Yeah. It's also not too late, yeah. but you have to be more intentional about it. <laughs> Nothing is irreversible, but no. yeah, like you said, the, the brain's like a muscle, right? So it's it's like how much are you going to um, work on that particular muscle? And so it just takes practice and practicing, I think. And in the beginning, when you're trying to break a pattern or when you're trying to create a new pattern, it's just about practicing that every single day, multiple times a day, consciously making an effort until it becomes a subconscious pattern now which is effortless. Yes. Yeah, exactly. We just talked about how you do transformational change. There you go, ladies. So circling back to, and I, I wanted to pick your brain on this because I've got a couple uh, clients who are dealing kind of, and I, I know you have younger kids, but you've worked with kids of all ages and families and dynamics and all that. So I've got some clients, us included here um, in my household that like our teenagers are just struggling and I've read some stats that when that connection that we were talking about is missing with parents and teachers, kids are a lot more prone to risky behavior and, you know, a lot of the things that I think are affecting them. But when that connection hasn't been there in a long time, do you have recommendations and the kids are maybe older? Do you have any suggestions or thoughts on how to start to reestablish some of that? Yeah, well, and teenagers are tricky <laughs> In all honesty, one of the trickiest age groups, hey. Um, and yeah, so I think coming again, the only re- the only way connection actually works, and I come back to this all the time, is if they have emotional safety. And so if they're not fully connecting, um, I do urge parents to kind of think about how do they create emotional safety in the first six years of their life and it's okay that if you've made mistakes it's fine we all make mistakes but um that's a question to really ask because only when you start becoming aware of going oh wait a minute okay i don't think i created much of an emotional safety i kept getting angry at them whenever they they did something that wasn't appropriate to me um well you know that could have affected my connection and my uh level of relationship with my child so i think the first thing is um with teenagers they don't want to talk much in the beginning. So I think it's about coming at it in little intervals. So I would just tell a parent, you know, connect with your child, get up to them and just say, hey, look, I have been feeling uh, a little bit lonely. I've kind of been feeling sad because I I miss you and and I love you. And I feel like maybe there are things that I should have 
not done when you were a little kid or in the past. And I'm trying to resolve that. Um, but I just wanted to let you know this, that I'm working on it. Leave it at that for the first day. Literally leave it at that. It, the te- teenagers, they, they're all in here and they think a lot. So they've really taken everything you've said but they're going to try and fight it because they also, you know, they have their own personality. They have their own character now. Um, so, yeah. But then after that, slowly, it's just about saying, hey, I just wanted to spend 10 minutes today with you. Uh, what is it something that you'd like to do? Do you want to kick the ball or do you want to get your nails done? What do you want to do? And um, I'll just do that with you. I'll put it in the calendar. And they go, oh, okay. Uh let's do this, you know, and it's just keep it casual. I think parents really try and, oh, okay, do you like this? Do you want to do this? No, just keep it casual like you would with a friend um, and not trying to be in their face a lot of the times. And then after that, it's just about going and again, becoming vulnerable. Hey, and just ask them straight up. Teenagers like straight up conversations. They don't like beating around the bush. So I would literally just say to a teenager, do you feel safe? Do you feel emotionally safe? Do you feel like if you did something wrong, you could come to me and you would feel fine? Tell me, because if you don't, I need to change that. And when you say I need to change that, that moment, you've actually created a huge amount of safety for your teenager, because then they're going, oh, you're not going to try and change me. That's okay. That tells me something right now. You know, so it's these little steps and languaging is going to be really important here and how you talk to your teenager to be able to get them to go, okay, I can open up to you a little bit. I can open up to you a little bit until you get your teenager, you know, pouring their heart out to you. They do at random times. I seem to have that effect. Come and tell me stuff. I'm like, okay. (laughs) That's a good thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's really great. And And I know it can be scary but we have to take the first step like we are the parent and we have to be the ones who come to them that's they're probably not going to come to us so (laughs) let's just be honest (laughs) Um, yeah yeah no definitely and again um you know uh, parents who might find this really hard maybe the first thing I would say is then step back and a couple of times in the day check in with yourself and ask yourself first, do you feel safe? You know, are you feeling okay? Are you feeling sad? What are you feeling sad about? Did you know that? Can you tell yourself that it's okay to feel sad about this mm-hmm. and that you are supported? Um, you know, and 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 do you have a good support network? Um, a lot of the times, you know, we have these friendship circles and things like that, but are they really serving us? Are they really supporting us? Um, and if you have that one or two friend that can really support you emotionally, lay it out on them, you know, talk to them about it. Because until you don't really fully get connected with yourself and feeling safe in yourself with whatever you're feeling, you can't really model that to your kid. And so you can't really expect them to pour that out to you when you don't know how to handle those emotions yourself. Because that puts a lot of uncertainty for them. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Makes a lot of sense. And I was going to say for women, because we're speaking specifically to women, um, one of the most profound things I learned in my chiropractic journey was because we talk so much about it, the nervous system, but um, women tend to, we don't really do fight or flight so much. We do more of the tendon befriend. And what you're talking about here is, and this is something that all of us have been missing because we've had, you know, a drastic shift in our social 
mm-hmm. calendar and like ability and all of that with everything we've been to, through in the last two years. But, you know, we tend to need to talk to somebody about what's going on yeah. and get it out. Even if it's your journal. Like I remember the first time I sat down to journal in a long time and I was like, I don't really know what to write about. And like 10 pages later, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess yeah. I do. You yeah. have to get it out and then, you know, and have and formulate some of that connection for ourselves because it's from that place that we oh. can go ahead oh for sure for sure yeah Yeah. like the feminine the feminine side um and the emotional system how it's formed in the in the female brain versus the male brain is very different Mm -hmm. and so you know females tend to be more on the nurturing side and evolutionary that's needed um in the social nervous system part that was needed so that the um the baby for example wouldn't be neglected by the mom that's how we took care of our young you know because we had that uh, innate organic response to be with our children, to not leave them, to not abandon them. That was the only way we could survive as a race. <laughs> so yes, the female, <laughs> the female um, uh, system is very different. And so we do tend to, uh, when I say overly emotional, I'm talking in a, in a healthy way, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's something we need to keep in mind is to, connect through feeling um yeah one of the things uh one of the classes i took recently and because i'm working on my phd um but i think the book is called change your brain change your life there's a bunch of those but this was specific oh, yeah. to the brain and he talked about i believe it's the limbic system but as females we actually have a much larger capacity for emotion <laughs> we'll just say which is largely yeah. through the limbic system than males and they've they've shown this and so that's part of why like the example he used was casual sex. Women can't really, you know, turn off that part of yeah. there's a connection that happens because we actually have more going on in our brain than men do. Don't tell them we said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you look at, you know, any problem, um, the, the male headspace comes in and says, do I either leave it or do I fix it? It's very black and white. It's yep. very, you know, right and wrong kind of thing. Whereas uh, the female brain will look at it and say, okay, how do I feel about it? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I think about it? You know, there's a lot of perception based things around there. And then it's about, okay, structuring it. And then it's about doing the action. Um, so yeah, there's a lot more steps in the female brain. Yes. <laughs> and I know both you and I are in all male households. So I think that even brings a whole mm. other layer of conversation to like the parenting oh, yeah. thing because, oh yeah, yeah. 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 It's yeah, definitely. Because I think, and that's something it's interesting because, you know, as you become a parent, there is definitely more stress on your relationship with your partner. And, um, you know, there was a lot of times where I would be telling my feelings to my husband and my husband's just, you know, trying to fix everything. And I'm like, that's not what I need. I don't need you to fix anything. I just need to hear me out. Um, so yeah, there is definitely, uh, you know, some things that I guess, uh, and I had to change the way I do things. You know, I can't just tell him my feelings. I had to kind of structure it a little bit and say, this is what's happening. And so I need this and this is how we're going to do things. So it was like, he could just follow it like a, like a list. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. I, had similar. <laughs> I think I, I was sharing something really emotional with my husband and he just kind of looked at me and was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I was like, You're, yeah. you don't have to say anything. Just listen to me. Yeah. Just be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, if you think like you're all alone, ladies, this is uh, there's some biology on here too. (laughs) Thanks. Awesome. Well, in just kind of bringing this full circle, do you have any 
kind of parting thoughts or ideas or something that we didn't touch on that you'd like to share around this concept of connection and trauma and moving into yeah, our I think we, we future. Yeah, I think we covered quite a bit. Like I said, you know, for, for all the ladies listening out there, the first thing is really, if you're struggling with your kids, um, I would really recommend checking in with yourself first. I think with the, um, the whole, like, you know, mothers have to be martyrs. It's always about the family. It's always about the kids. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a thing I said the other day, um, you know, what is a good parent? What's a good mother? And it's not about being with your children 100% of the time. It's all about just being a responsive mother. And a responsive mother is one that takes breaks. A responsive mother is the one that puts her needs before her children. Because when you do that, you actually role model something healthy for your kids. You role model that, hey, you're not being selfish. You're just taking care of yourself first so that you can take care of everybody else. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, don't be too hard on yourself and just know that it's okay to spend some time away to recharge, to reset and come back. And, and, and if you're struggling in those moments of connectedness, ask yourself, you know, where is it coming from for you? How were you parented? And do you maybe need to reparent yourself in that in that aspect um, to give yourself some love, to give yourself the need, oh, sorry, to meet your need that wasn't met when you were a kid? And how can you do that for yourself? Because if you can meet yours, you can meet your child's. So if you're struggling to meet your child's need, it's because it wasn't met for you. Yeah, I think you just, I just thought of this and you sharing that. So we're not quite done yet, but also recognizing you know, I, I noticed early on with my son that he would look to things outside himself to meet a need. And, and we do this as adults mm-hmm. and it's watching food, but it can also be, you know, the shopping spree. He always, when he was feeling sad after his dad moved back to uh, Minnesota, it was always like, well, I need, I want a new toy. Like I, I want to go shopping, you know? And so he had, and I had enough wherewithal to like interrupt that, but it also requires looking at, okay, how did we model this for our kids? And some of that's societally driven, but also like us recognizing that a lot of the stuff that drives our unhealthy behaviors is actually needs that we don't know how to acknowledge yeah. for ourselves. So that's huge. Yeah. 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 And, um, and, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to teach your kid, you know, um, or guide your kid through the difference between external validation versus internal, internal validation. And um, yeah. And sometimes what I just do is with my kids, you know, I do this in the morning and at nighttime, I I look at them and I say, repeat after me. You know, I say, I am enough. I am loved. I deserve everything I want and need. And and it's just about showing them that I is important. You yeah. know, I think that the whole like there is no I in team <laughs> has been kind <laughs> of overdone, you know, in yeah. my opinion. But I mm-hmm. is important. And, you know, you you have it all in here. It's just about bringing it out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because when you connect to that eye and how powerful and awesome it really is, you can go change exactly. the world. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dulcie, thank you so much for coming on the show and having it. This, this is a so different conversation than I usually have. And I really <laughs> like it. You're really welcome. Um, and for those who are listening, and want to connect with you more around this parenting conversation. I know you've got some new stuff you've been planning. So how can they find yeah. you? 
Yeah, so I've got a, um, so I'm on Instagram and Facebook, so they can find me um, with my name, but I've also got the Instinctual Parent Community um, free group on Facebook. So they can definitely join that because I have parents all around the world uh, in there discovering, learning, growing together in a safe space. Um, I also go in there live every, um, every week or every two weeks to teach simple concepts, learn strategies, answering a lot of questions. Um, and then along with the community, I'm also now starting the Instinctual Parent Program, which is going to be a six-week program. So, yeah, lots of yep. ways to connect through this. Great. So, And I'll put links to all that in the show notes. Um, Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. Yeah. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women, where we provide you with the tools, information, and inspiration you need to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and also leave us a review. Also, I don't want to be working with you on your health only once or twice a week. I want to be in this conversation and in the trenches with you every single day. I invite you to join me in the Emergent Women Community Group on Facebook for the chance to interact with me live once a week and even more information, inspiration, and motivation to transform your health and become the vibrant, energetic, and on-fire version of yourself we all know is under there. Until next time, remember to keep putting yourself first so that you can better serve the ones you love and the things you are passionate about.